You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Thank you so much for coming tonight. It's been a cold night out there, so I really appreciate it. Um, I'm Vinnie Wade. I'm the former uh, director of ADAPT and founder of the ADAPT Research Centre um, and the chair of Computer Science and AI in uh, Trinity College. Um, I'm delighted to welcome you here. This area, this whole building is called the Longroom Hub. Um, it's particularly focused on binding the arts and humanities disciplines in cross college, cross university, uh, into a research institute of note. And the ADAPT Centre and the Longham Hub have been collaborating for many, many years, uh, looking at new technology and how it actually affects society, how it affects um, different disciplines and arts and humanities. Um, and particularly today, I'm delighted to. Uh, be able to show off some of the research which we've been doing in a, in a program called we call it Human Plus. Human Plus is a Marie Curie Fellowship program which invites fellows from all over the world, from the US, Europe, Asia, to come in to the ADAP Centre and to the Long Room Hub and to research at the intersection between technology and humanities. Um, we have nine research fellows working in very, very different aspects. But one of the things that they, they started to do is they mentioned to say, well, look, what about if we actually looked at one topic as well from all of the different areas, from all the different aspects, from legal, from technology, from uh, humanities, from arts, from all the different uh, angles, and look at it from a one, uh, one problem and see, can we really look at the manifest, what the issues are? Well, tonight is just uh, one of the uh, opportunities we've got a chance to, to talk about what we see as some considerations that come out of that research. Um, we're in an unusual time. Um, you know, if we think of ourselves as, as, as computer scientists or, or, or computer professionals, we have an unusual situation in the sense that we can deploy very stimulating, very impactful, very behavioural changing technology into society without a whole lot of rules. We tend to develop them, try and as best we can ensure that they are safe, but then we deploy them. That's not the same what happens in, human, in a pharmaceuticals, financial, or medical spheres. And so what we have to do is begin to think in terms of, well, as we begin to deploy these, what does it actually mean from a, from a human perspective? And we have had great successes in technologies, but we've also had a couple of own goals. Now, if we think about it, social media, fantastic for connecting people together, fantastic for, for binding aspects of communities for organization of, those, of social, of connecting of information, sharing information that we wouldn't otherwise get. But it's also had a number of unexpected um, uh, challenges for society. If we think about the anxiety and the rise of anxiety between our, 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 our population from the ages of 10 to the age of 24, it's undeniably linked to the usage of social media or aspects of social media. We've also seen the, the uh, implication of personalization. Personalization is a very, very strong, very, very positive technology, but it can be used in different ways, not always for the betterment of humans. We've seen it now in terms of the polarization of society, particularly in the US, but elsewhere as well. So as we develop these new technologies, we've got to think in terms of the implications. It's kind of like Groundhog Day today in terms of the way people have been reacting to generative AI. Generative AI, there's no doubt there is massive pos uh, positives there in terms of being able to 
uh, deliver the right information in the right way in the most meaningful possible way to the individual to generating content that just simply wasn't there before and um, assimilating it for an individual whether it be image, whether it be text, whether it be um, voice and, and, and spoken dialogue but there's also, as we know, there's some real significant challenges there um, what we want to talk about today though is what could actually be argued to be the next generation technology that AI is going to um, have a massive impact on and that is the metaverse or virtual worlds you know we know that as we put humans inside an immersive environment virtual or extended reality it has significant effects on them both in terms of their perception and their behavior on one of the things that we're trying to look at in today's talk, in today's talks and, and discussion with you as professionals in the area, um, is to look at well, what could be some of the implications, and maybe what can we do to anticipate the problems so that we can get ahead of it. We don't want to do, we don't want to make the metaverse the poor aspects of social media that we had for the last 10 or 15 years. It's much harder to fix society than it is to fix the technology. So maybe if we can be more anticipated, maybe we can think about what are the issues. And what today's talk is all about, or talks are all about then, is really what are the considerations for human, and particularly human identity, in the metaverse? What are the effects of those technologies? And today we've got three speakers for you. Um, the first is Professor Garrett Young. He's an assistant professor here in computer science in Trinity College. And he works at the uh, intersection between extended reality and human-computer interaction. And his talk will talk a little bit about where we're going in the metaverse. Whether you call it metaverse, whether you call it virtual worlds, you know, I, I leave that up to Gareth. Um, second speaker is Dr. Kata Statsitsi, sorry, my teeth. Um, a cognitive science uh, specialist extending, focusing on extended reality and extended reality technologies particularly coming from the human behavioural side of things. And in Nicola Palatino, he's a, a research fellow here, um, recently moved to his uh, assistant professorship in Italy, and he's come from the political science background and looking at what might be the issues in governance and digital policies. So without further ado, Gareth. Good evening, everybody. Uh, as Ming says, my name is Gareth. Um, my work at the moment is in VR and Metaverse, but it stems from an arts and humanities background, so I'm, I'm really pleased to be here as a newly appointed assistant professor in computer science, but also with an arts and humanities background here in, uh, in the long run. So I'm here to talk to you about Metaverse, to open the floor up to uh, our ever-evolving digital universe, where we speak about the physical world in tandem with the digital. Um, and I think that this has particularly profound implications for machine learning and the AI space. And hopefully I can uh, touch upon some of those issues with you today. So you might find that there's a lot of definitions out there for a lot of different technologies. And Metaverse is not uh, free from that, unfortunately. Um, but we can latch into particular uh, points of which are, uh, are likewise for any definition of them. And things like virtual reality, augmented reality, head-mounted displays, HMDs, 
those are very sort of fundamental at the moment to uh, defining the metaverse today. And by using these technologies, they, uh, the user can engage with other users. So this is the human to human, the social interaction part of the metaverse. And it's about fostering social connections and collaborations within this idea of a persistent virtual world. It doesn't go away when you turn the computer off or take off your HMD. Um, and the metaverse is not just a 3D internet. Um, it's, it's a dynamic canvas for creativity as well. Uh, users within the metaverse can express themselves through digital art, uh, design immersive environments, and uh, contribute to this ever-evolving tapestry of virtual worlds. Um, a lot of people use the idea of a digital twin. I think that's boring. The real world sucks, and we can do so much better in the metaverse. So let's not constrain ourselves with things like digital twins. It's, it's so much more than that. Um, there's, there's an opportunity to create an economy where these uh, user-generated content, this user-generated user content can be bought, it can be sold, it can be traded as a digital asset, and ideally should allow the trade and movement of these digital goods between different virtual worlds and platforms. And we kind of struggle with that at the moment. So that's, that's a work in progress. Uh, move, yeah, moving uh, interoperability, move, so move, moving objects between worlds uh, without having to um, log into a new account or to change headsets or, or use a different platform. Um, and the idea of using AI in the metaverse is really sort of uh, being used in to enhance this experience to provide people with realistic um, non-player characters. Um, I sometimes think that they, they're here in the real world with us, these NPCs, but that's just the world we live in apparently. The, the idea of personalized content and this idea of dynamic uh, environment. So that's what the metaverse is to me, and I think that works on a whole different level to what we're led to believe is the metaverse. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that metaverse has been around for a long time, it has its own history. And while the term itself originated in a sci-fi book, uh, Neil Stevenson's 1992 uh, Snow Crash, um, the concepts and the ideas are rooted in earlier works of William Gibson's Neuromancer. And as we travel through time, we got great, fantastic uh, representations in the form of Tron and uh, the, the, the amazing lawnmower man from the early 90s, uh, which is a favorite of mine. But even before these times, the technology really came about in the 1960s, where we saw our first glimpse of simulation technology with uh, the, the uh, Sensorama. But if we fast forward today, we've got the Metaverse, and, and the, the idea that, that, that the Metaverse is owned by a single company is, is, is a big misnomer for me. It's like, this is about interoperability, sharing virtual spaces, etc., etc. It's not owned by one person or one company. So whilst the rebranding in 2021 did a great deal of work to raise the profile of Metaverse, um, we shouldn't use it to define what it is for us. Um, and like I say, this is, this is supposed to be a playground for creativity. This is about imagination of taking science fiction and, and bringing it into sort of tangible spaces for artists and creatives to, to shape a vision of, of what Metaverse is. So whether you prescribe to the Snowcrest Tron alone on a more massive version of Metaverse, uh, you're in a good place because you come at it from an artist's perspective. 
So, how does machine learning fit into the metaverse? Well, for me, that's a good question. <laughs> machine learning is all about smart contracts and distributed ledgers and blockchain technologies, all these really fancy computer science words. Um, when you see all of this technology being put to action in the metaverse, you see something much bigger than the individual technologies. So, like I mentioned, AI-driven NPCs, they're becoming so prevalent and great at mimicking human interactions, they enhance the, the, the realism of virtual worlds. And the AI algorithms that rather scarily analyze all of our data, they create personalized experiences, which aren't always that bad. Um, so things like emotional intelligence as opposed to artificial intelligence, you think of the, we think of those as being quite human, but I think that that's what we're moving towards when we're uh, putting these technologies to use within the metaverse. So there are some dark parts to the web and there are some dark parts to the metaverse and some of the deeply disturbing spaces of, of the internet um, are already ethically ambiguous. And I think that this is where conversations with arts and humanities research institutes really comes into its own, um, to talk about ethics and behaving ethically. Uh, things like collecting and transmitting and protecting personal data are really important topics, um, but they can lose a lot of people in the, the legislation and, and the way in which we communicate them. So machine learning can be used to enhance security measures, but it also raises privacy concerns at the same time. And when we rope in the larger sort of AI space, we have unlocked a lot of potential business growth, but these are challenges. These are not readily off-the-shelf uh, uh, answered questions either. The, what it is to be human in a virtual digital world is, is what drives our research at the moment to, to speak to this today and, and to bring everybody here to, to think about ethical, creative explorations. Um, and yeah, I'm just gonna go quickly into the machine learning uh, applications today. So we're not just automating things like smart contracts and enhancing NPC interaction. We're reshaping the way that we work um, and we can do things like accelerated learning and personalized and adaptive learning experiences, but these are very human characteristics. And when you look at the cartoon characters within these virtual worlds, although Alice Space is now defunct, it was very cartoonish and unreal, but it respected that as humans we have imagination and self-expression. So things like avatar design and how you move and you interact within the digital world is, is very sort of um, human, although you don't look particularly human-like. Um, and these are uh, students and researchers from Switzerland, and they came on a, a, on a trip to Dublin to see Trinity uh, during the lockdown, and I gave them a, a virtual field trip to a number of locations that I could get to myself. So in the future, there's a lot of emerging trends and technologies that can be developed in and for the metaverse. And there's a boom at the moment in virtual content creation and the transformative impacts it will have on society. And they will play a pivotal role in those technologies, blockchain, AR, VR, AI. Um, we're moving ever towards the brain-computer interface of science fiction. 
Um, and while we should be critical of this, we should also maybe uh, embrace it as well, because there's things that I can potentially do in the metaverse that I can't do in the real world, and that's really promising. Um, so I think that we need to just have more conversations between industry and academia and the public and, and see if we can uh, find a, bit, a nice, safe way to look at this technology ethically and humanly. Um, so in conclusion, um, we have the opportunity to explore a dynamic space where technology innovation meets human interaction. Um, and we can navigate its evolution using machine learning and AI. Um, and we can also use it to shape our future and our future societies and take the best parts of the world as opposed to the more negative ones and, and make a, 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 a better place for, for us. So, thank you. Earlier, uh, Dr. Kata Siza is a College of Science researcher here in uh, Longwood and Gap. She focuses on the area of human-computer interaction and uh, the human side of human behaviour. Um, specifically, she's been exploring aspects of human identity and the effects they have in terms of uh, virtual reality and immersive worlds. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, this is um, definitely not too tall for the microphone, but I like to move around, so I guess it's a, it's a little bit easier. Um, thanks for the introduction, Mini, and, and also thanks for the introduction to VR, Gareth. Yeah, um, like it was that, my background is in computer science, but after concluding my research um, here as part of the Human Plus uh, fellowship. I um, I moved to um, the School of Computer Science at UCB, where I work with how data that is collected during uh, the use of um, uh, extended reality experiences can lead to real time adaptation of uh, the sensory experiences. So I'm looking at this thing from both from the psychology and also from the data aspect, and I will just quickly walk you through the most critical aspects of identity and personal data in the prospects of, mass of uh, the metaverse. So basically what I generally have been working with is uh, social VR. Uh, that was just uh, discussed here, these um, social um, uh, environments where, where people can do various things from, from creative practices just to meet, to play games, uh, and as the idea of the metaverse is, uh, is growing on us, it is actually um, promising or presenting the possibilities that it's not only that we just tune in to these virtual environments to meet up with our friends or do some, some specific tasks, as uh, much research actually shows that uh, right now uh, participation in virtual environments is rather focus on a specific task or, or an area of activities, it's going to um, like cover every kind of aspect, all sorts of aspects of the world, all sorts of aspects of our, of our lives, from education um, to, um, I don't know, dating and uh, all sorts of things. So this is why it's, uh, it's really important to talk about the human implications of it. So what, what exactly, um, how exactly can we make um, a system that would uh, make the metaverse or uh, the future of virtual reality and uh, virtual reality environments and concepts 
the, the most pleasant, the safest, and, uh, and uh, the most effective for, for users, not only just selling some fun and new tech, but also uh, to make it into a space that where uh, people can interact and um, um, live their lives. So basically, the human-centric approach to these extended reality-based multi-user platforms that the Metaverse is promising is based on three different pillars. Um, the first one is technology, of course, and then we have the pillar of representation. That includes not only just how um, a digital twin or um, a human avatar or an object looks like, but also how we can interact with them, what kind of interaction mechanisms are between um, a user and an object, for example. This is not always straightforward, because if you think about it, how we scroll on our touchscreen phones, and it's so also natural. So everyone knows, like, if you, if you long press and, um, something on your, on your touch screen, it would react in a certain way. Or if you scroll, it, uh, the screen will react in another way. But this was not necessarily obvious in the beginning. So this is also part of um, the representation, representation of uh, interactions. And the third pillar is the human behavior. And this is, this is the part which I'm most concerned, but obviously these three all together um, uh, bring the, these ideas together. So for example, um, these um, images are um, all my uh, avatars from different platforms, except for this one, but this also <laughs> might as well be. And as you can see, it's very different. Uh, I don't really look like any of them. Uh, but also, it's, uh, it's important to highlight that different platforms, uh, different social VR platforms, or these um, multi-user platforms have different ways of representing a human body. So for example, in this case, this one is from um, an app called Verbala, which is um, designed for professional um, meetups, uh, conferences, etc. And what you can see here is that this is kind of how a female body looks like. That's a very stereotypical, it can't really change much. And the, the clothing and the attire is all, all related to some kind of a uh, business-like uh, look. Whereas this one is from uh, Big Screen VR, which is a social VR platform for watching movies. The representation of the users or the avatars is not that elaborate. It's like flying bus, basically. But the point of that um, platform is not really to interact, not really to to uh, make friends, but uh, to sit in a screening room and watch a movie. So this also shows that there are very different functions uh, that would lead to very different ways of designing one's avatar and interacting with, with one another. But based on that and based on how one looks in these um, virtual spaces can also change uh, human behavior, social behaviors, and communication. So just an example from uh, Lex Friedman's interview with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, where this is this hyper-real avatar that uh, um, represents him in, uh, in a virtual world while they're doing this interview. And it was just like all about the whole thing, how realistic it is. And it took like a good three minutes to start the interview, but he was just amazed by this whole fact. So this could be a very different uh, experience when someone is represented as like a realistic human being in the metaverse versus one of these um, before. So 
So in the cognitive and behavioral levels, um, this process looks like that there is uh, the extended reality technology that leads to some sort of a, a representation interactions or, or um, sensory representation of uh, objects and human beings, and that would lead to certain behaviors. And in the end of these, uh, this process, we can say that um, um, the self-identity of a user is based on the customizations and the sensations of, uh, of one's body awareness. So basically, I'm feeling that this is my body because the way I operate it, the, the way it moves. But it is very much um, dependent on the technology and the, uh, the ways of representing myself. And also that uh, would lead to a certain uh, social, culture, and behavior cues. And what you also don't necessarily think about most of the time, but when we interact with each other, there's so many nonverbal cues, body language, gestures, etc., that um, that leads to some certain understanding of uh, what we are saying. But this might actually be a locked tone down uh, where avatars are less realistic or less uh, these interaction mechanisms are less elaborate. And also, uh, there are also ways um, that communication and social dynamics would change to various populations, various demographics, based on how they look. And again, in behind a cartoonish figure that can change the perception of social groups uh, quite a lot. So there are some considerations that I wanted to bring up. Some of them have already been brought up, and also some of them are not very new for extended reality. They are very much part of the general internet use or social media use, such as harassment, toxic behaviors um, towards individuals or um, members of minority groups, uh, profiling, for example, and also um, uh, discrepancies and uh, um, uh, ideas, um, unrealistic ideas based on one's body image. Uh, the way how one's digital twin or avatar is uh, represented. Um, use, uh, going behind avatars or, or being represented by avatars can be a huge um, advantage as well. If someone has issues with representing their two identities, they can, they can do that in VR and it could be a lot, uh, huge plus. But it could also lead to uh, mass identities or disinhibition. Um, and dissociation from the physical uh, world, which can um, be linked to addictive traits. And in this way also, um, realities might be distorted and manipulated, and one of my ongoing research also looks at how we actually understand what is real and what is not real when the representation doesn't look realistic. So how do we know what is real and what is uh, distorted? But what we also have to add to this triangle or three dimensions is the question of data. And the data that is uh, collected while we are using reality and social virtual reality or in the future the idea of the metaverse can be grouped into three different um, elements. Personal identifiers, demographics and uh, use data. Personal identifiers include one's you know, name that you register with the date of birth, which is often has to be added because there are some age limitations in certain applications, credit card details to purchase um, certain elements of, um, of uh, the virtual environment, such as uh, outfits or objects, contact details, or once uh, friends and contacts can be 
um, collected as uh, personal identifiers. When it comes to demographics, a lot of uh, different type of data such as age, gender, interests, or even commercial behaviors or uh, disabilities that uh, are actively collected from users. And when it comes to use data, and this is something that people don't really think about, is how much uh, information can be gathered from, for example, um, 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 tra body tracking devices, uh, not only geolocation and voice, but also a source of biosignals, uh, heart rate, for example, bodily features and motion, and um, um, a, a large um, analysis of large data sets also shows that based on one's motion, one's avatar's motion, uh, this data can be traced back to individual users. So this is also something that uh, shows uh, new areas of risks, which are added to my risks and considerations uh, page here. So in terms of uh, privacy and data, um, we have to reflect on the fact that a lot of these data are collected without one's consent, or people actually just don't know what kind of data is collected from them, and they just click agree, like many of us do in many um, cases, um, but it's, it's not transparent uh, how this data is collected, what kind of data is collected, and how it is used. Uh, there are also risks of data theft and other types of privacy uh, violations, and as Gareth also uh, mentioned, uh, there's the risk of um, uh, AI-generated avatars or profiles that could influence or deceive uh, human users. That could be for commercial interest, but it could be a lot worse as well. So these are the, um, the main issues here. And uh, I'd like to conclude here. Um, if you'd like to reach me, you can do so here. You can also scan the QR code. Um, and Thanks so much, Katha. Well, uh, and in this part, I will focus more specifically on the social and political implication of uh, identity building in the metaverse, uh, and also on the capability of our regulatory landscape to address the challenges that we will face with that. And uh, to this purpose, I think it will be useful uh, to uh, give a look to the, what we learn um, studying uh, traditional social media uh, in the last few years. And we know that platforms are not neutral intermediaries uh, of user-generated content by reader. They are active subjects that uh, are capable to shape uh, online communicative flows and discipline human behavior. And uh, because their architecture embed values and regulatory mechanisms and give rise to a specific social media logic, which is composed by um, four main dimensions. The first dimension, of course, is datafication, that is the capability to uh, transform and translate social reality into digital information. The second dimension is popularity, that is uh, the capability of platform 
to measure the relevance of contents and users. And the third dimension is connectivity, that is the capability to link uh, user activity uh, to content and also, as we will see later, with the advertiser. And the uh, last dimension is uh, programmability. That uh, this dimension refers to a bidirectional relation in which platforms are able to trigger and steal user reactions, but in that turn, users may influence platform contents by interacting with the code and algorithms. Uh, well, this fourth dimension um, stems from uh, what are the uh, technological characteristics and affordance uh, of uh, social media, but they are at the same time shaped and definition on social media business model. And this business model has been described as economy of attention or surveillance capitalism, and basically refer to the fact that investment to build a platform generally are not paid back, uh, paid back through or user subscription or purchases, but rather by selling advertising to companies. And so platforms are led to maximize user engagement, to make their advertising uh, more valuable, and but also to collect more data and user digital footprints that will be used to profile and better segment user, personalized content, and put in place micro-targeting strategy for advertising. Well, what are the implications uh, for identity building stemming from this partner, from this business model and this characteristic of social media logic? Basically, there are three main implications that are, uh, are about privacy and surveillance, freedom of expression, and manipulation. Uh, well, about uh, privacy, um, Kata already pointed out uh, what are the effects in terms of privacy and surveillance. Um, besides that consideration, I just want to add that the metaverse, uh, which is architecture, uh, offers an unprecedented possibility for biometric identification and categorization. Due to uh, this capability to collect, process, and combine a wide range of body signals from different devices, and it also means that it can, uh, we can create a new identification system. Um, the second point uh, that I want to draw to your attention uh, referred to the so called chilling effect. Uh, when individuals perceive um, they are uh, uh, immersed in a constant surveillance, they may feel uh, compelled to conform uh, their behavior to what they perceive as uh, uh, the dominant uh, or socially acceptable norms. And so, paradoxically, the promise of the metaverse to enable individuals to experience and express themselves in ways previously impossible may reverse in a sort of uh, a totalitarian nightmare, a totalitarian panopticon, where even our highest movement at rates are constant, uh, constantly monitored and analyzed. Hmm? Um, and this was particularly true if people have to engage in the metaverse for work or because uh, it's forced by some social or political authority. Well, then there are also implications with regard to freedom of expression. And uh, here the 
The main point is, is that individuals can construct their identity, their avatars, uh, based on the option and the traits that are made available by the platforms. So platform possess the power to define the range of possible legitimate identity traits in the metaverse. And this aspect is further exacerbated by the fact that platforms are increasingly involved in the content moderation and content creation tasks, deciding what content must be removed or not, and, and thus the factor they are defining what are the boundaries of legitimate freedom of uh, expression in their domain. And so, think about what if tomorrow, uh, you, I don't know, the manager of a metaverse environment impose or private Muslim vague. Hmm? Think what has uh, happened in the last months in Iran. In that situation, the real world, the women had the opportunity to uh, react to this in, such as imposition at cost of their personal safety and life. But in the metaverse, this should not simply possible because it will be uh, not enabled by technological means. Hmm? And this is a problem that probably we are going to face in the next future. Uh, but probably the most serious uh, implication will be related to manipulation. Hmm? Uh, research on traditional social media has already demonstrated how the popularity metrics uh, have a detrimental effect on the individual self-perception and representation. On the one hand, these metrics give rise to additive reinforcement mechanism, where individuals are motivated to repeat or adopt behavior that are expected to uh, generate more reaction. And this occurs even at the expense of their authenticity or by engaging in dangerous uh, self-damaging activities. And on the other hand, the constant comparison with others uh, and all the phenomena of the filter bubble has proven to generate low esteem phenomena and increase depression, uh, uh, suicidal tendency, invulnerable subjects. Um, however, the more subtle and relevant risk could stem from nagging practice. Uh, creation algorithms and uh, predictive analytics, through which platform try to influence and steer user behavior. Uh, in such a way, by analyzing all the data that uh, we live in the, in the metaverse, uh, platform can uh, uh, identify partners uh, in order to, uh, you know, steer user behavior, provide them with the stimulus that are expected to uh, generate a desired reaction. Hmm? And Kata uh, mm, uh, and also from the comment from, from the public are really raised the question of uh, the interaction with the fake avatars. And uh, I can add that uh, uh, artificial intelligence driven fake avatars could be employed uh, in, in the context of this information campaign. And we can use uh, artificial intelligence to generate a uh, conversational bot or avatar. They are trained in order to uh, look very similar and speak in a very similar way to the people that we trust in, in order to lower our psychological barrier and make us more vulnerable to manipulation, propaganda, extremism, and so on. Um, but uh, uh, we can ask now to what extent the current uh, legal landscape protects uh, uh, the identity of users in the metaverse. 
And of course, we do not have a regulation specifically tailored for the metaverse. Nevertheless, we have several pieces of legislation already in force or incoming that address the issues that we have discussed. And here I will focus on three main legislative instruments in the European Union, General Data Protection Regulation, the Digital Services Act and the Artificial Intelligence Act. What well, with regard to privacy and surveillance is, as we said, the general data protection regulation uh, gives rise to the so-called uh, right to digital identity or informational self-determination, which refers to the free construction of our personality in the digital environment and the control of our data. Um, this stems from a wide range of provisions that include uh, uh, consent discipline, transparency right, right to access to our data, and uh, uh, so on. And uh, transposed in the metaverse, uh, this right may ensure that the individual can know what information is uh, uh, contained or associated to their avatar. They also control what a platform can do with their data. And uh, they also decide uh, to modify, delete, or move the avatar to another platform as they want, even if this causes uh, 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 some problem of uh, portability and interoperability that need to be solved here. Well, for the safeguard, in terms of surveillance uh, and privacy provided by the Artificial Intelligence Act, as much it permits real-time remote biometric identification system in the public space. And in any case, it considers remote biometric identification as an hybrid application of artificial intelligence. We must comply with a series of requirements, such as having a risk management framework, quality management system. There are some transparency measures, human oversight mechanisms that need to be implemented, and so on. And uh, uh, the Artificial Intelligence Act also provides that people must be notified when subjected to a motion recognition system or biometric categorization system. Uh, with regard to freedom of expression, the Digital Services Act on the one hand provides the platform must remove illegal, harmful uh, content as soon as they have uh, actual knowledge of them. And, but on the other side, platform has to put in place a series of measures to ensure that content moderation is carried out in a non-discriminatory and non-arbitrary manner. And this also include that the platform has to declare on which legal basis some content has been removed. Uh, what are the motivation that make the platform believe that uh, the, the specific content uh, is an illegal or harmful content? Uh, the um, uh, platform has to release also information about automated means that have been employed to detect harmful and illegal contents. And they also provide for appeal and redress procedures that which uh, users can't uh, uh, ask for um, uh, the decision about the content to be reconsidered. Uh, well, and uh, about manipulation, the Digital Service Act uh, provided for an assessment of systematic risks related to actual or forcible negative effects for work concerned fundamental rights, uh, civil discourse, electoral processes, and uh, public security, and also personal, physical, and mental well-being. Most important, very important, the Digital Services Act also prohibits what is called a duck partner. Uh, duck partner 
uh, are um, nagging um, deceptive tactics based on the structure, the design, or the functionalities of uh, an uh, online uh, interface or the environment that uh, are exploited to push users' interaction. Uh, the primary benefit of the platform provider it could also undermine the autonomy and the dignity of the users. And this prohibition is extremely relevant in the metaverse due to that is immersive and emotionally engaging environment offer many leverages to uh, and unprecedented and powerful means to influence people's behavior. Um, the Digital Service Act also stipulated the users must receive a notification clearly indicating if they are uh, uh, subject to advertisement. Uh, this notification also has to identify the identity responsible for commissioning the advertisement and also have to uh, reveal what are the information according to which uh, an advertisement has been shown to a specific user. And the other relevant transparency measures is provided by the Artificial Intelligence Act, which established that users should be informed when they are interacting with the artificial intelligence system or they are subject to biometric categorization. And this could be extremely relevant in the metaverse, considering that people may interact with AI driven avatar, as we said before, and being potentially manipulated or influenced in the context of this information propaganda. Um, well, there are also, so we have a, a robust corpus of law that uh, uh, can um, make us look with trust to the technological innovation, but of course there are also limitations. In particular, uh, with regard to the metaverse, we know that data collection is involuntary, continuous, and this could uh, create some problem with the notion of consent. Uh, another point of concern pertains in ferret data. Uh, because we know that artificial intelligence system may infer new information about data subject by applying algorithmic models to the personal data. Um, and the issues here from a data protection perspective is uh, whether the inferred information should be considered as new personal data. Distinct from the data from which it has been inferred, at this point is not very clear in the legislation. There are some conversations about. And uh, another point of concern, uh, of concern is the general data protection regulation framework uh, basically assume a one-to-one -one relationship between data subject and data controller processor. While in the current practice uh, uh, related to artificial intelligence, the metaverse, uh, data collection and processing is often carried out by a network of operators and this could obscure responsibilities and make hard to effectively uh, implement a data subject right. And uh, other problems um, could be related to the fact that the Digital Service Act could incentivize automated content governance and it may result in uh, some form of censorship or unnecessary content removal. Um, it's not clear if are the artificial intelligence limitation of biometric um, oh, identification and categorization apply to the metaverse. And of course, there is an implementation gap because all these rules require uh, new standard, require new technical specification, but also require new organizational arrangement. 
and uh, that does not exist in yet, and it's something in, on which we are working on at the moment, but we still not have the solution, we still not have the uh, proper instrument to implement this uh, uh, regulation. Thank you so much. Thank mm -hmm. you.